Hello, and welcome to Nina's Tirith, the podcast where we'll be exploring the Tolkien world and answer questions from you. My name is Nina. And this is Brian. This is episode three of the podcast. In today's episode, we will have a fun Q&A with a non-fan, talk about Mithril, Tolkien's theme about light, will include, include some romance, and lastly, talk about the most underdeveloped character on the show. First, I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Brian, who happens to be my most loyal fan. Hello, everyone. If you've been following this podcast, you'll know that he's a non-Tolkien fan and has watched some of the Lord of the Rings movies in the past. Slight clarification, I've sat through most of them, but I can't say that I was awake for all of them. So I wanted to get his non-expert analysis on some questions from our listeners. This should be quite interesting. All right, here we go. Here we go. So one of our loyal listeners were wondering why the Harfoots have twigs, leaves, and other things in their hair. Kind of seems like a great place for a nest. What are your thoughts? Huh. Okay. Not the kind of question I was considering. Um, I have a few thoughts on this. I think the easy answer is that they didn't have mirrors. So they probably didn't know what they actually looked like. And so they thought it was okay to be in public with that type of hairstyle. Um, a different reason could be that they may have identity crisis. Uh, they don't have pointy ears like elves. And they're not small like the dwarves. So they have to find something to give them some sort of identity. And it seems like they're always rolling around in the ground. So it could also be some sort of camouflage for them, right? Interesting answer. Very possible. So here's another question that needs your insight. I've noticed that the elves in Peter Jackson's movies all have long hair, but the elves in the Amazons show some of them have short hair, like Arondir, Elrond, and Celebrimbor. So why do you think that is? Hmm. That is fairly odd. Uh, the Rings of Power show takes place thousands of years before the movies, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so it's plausible that, one, the elves finally gained a sense of style over the years. Um, two, their hair probably just grows super slowly. And three, someone told them that their ears make them stick out too much when they're trying to sneak up on their enemy. And since the Harfoots already use twigs and leaves, they decided to grow their hair out to cover up their ears as their way to camouflage themselves. Okay, wow. Well, those answers seem very feasible, actually. So yeah. last question for you. How come Legolas seems to always have an endless supply of arrows? Oh, my favorite question. I have also wondered this as well, and I've given this a lot of thought since our last episode. So, many people might say that I and others should just suspend our sense of disbelief uh, for this type of thing, but I think I have a pretty good answer for this now. So, in episode two of this podcast, you were talking about this whole crazy notion of, like, the seen and unseen world, right? Yes. So, what does that have to do with Legolas? So, stay with me here. I think the Legolas has a small army of arrow-making elves 
that work in the unseen world. And every time he reaches into his bag of arrows, he's actually reaching into the unseen world where his elf factory is. And they're restocking his stash of arrows. <laughs> That's actually not the worst answer I've heard. Very oh, creative. Thank you. Well, thank you for your very interesting insights to these questions. I can't say that I would have answered these in the same way, but that's okay. All right. Well, thank you for letting me share some of my non-expert analysis with your listeners. So let's move on to the real topics for today. So far, we haven't really gotten close to seeing any Rings of Power on the Rings of Power show. Kind of odd. I'm thinking rings are made out of metal or some sort of ore. So can you tell us about Mithril? Does this exist on Earth or just on Middle Earth? And what's the big deal about Mithril for these elves? And how can Mithril save them? Great question. So we have to go back to the beginning of the First Age. In the beginning, there were two trees created by the Valar, the gods of the, the Middle Earth. One shined a silver light, the other shined a glittering gold light. These trees took turns providing light to all in Valinor. There wasn't a sun or moon at the time. Now when the elves woke up in Middle-earth, they were invited to see the light of the trees. Those who were willing to take the journey were called Kalaquindi, elves of the light. But the elves who were unwilling to travel, and also who did travel but still stayed on Middle-earth, were called the Moraquindi, elves of darkness. So whether you saw the light of the trees or not is a huge thing in Tolkien's world. It's part of an elf's identity and it also has impacts to others. For example, the Noldor elves that left Valinor to go to Middle-earth started a war against Morgoth. Tolkien once wrote that the orcs and the armies of Morgoth were afraid of these Noldor elves, not because of their swords, armors, or skills, but because of their faces, which had seen the light of the trees. Okay, so light is very important of the Eldar's identity and life in the Tolkien's world. Um, but what does that have to do with Beethroth? A great Noldor elf named Fianor created the Silmarils, and there's three of them. These jewels captured the light of the trees in them, and when the trees were destroyed by Morgoth, the jewels were the only things left that still had the light of the trees in them. Later, Fianor's grandson, Celebrimbor, created the three elven rings of power, one of these three rings, Nenya, was made out of Mithril. Nenya preserved the people of the elves, preserved their beauty, preserved the light of the Eldar, and protected them. The ring Nenya kept their people from diminishing. So this is how Mithril is connected to the elves of Middle-earth, according to Tolkien. But in the Amazon show, Gil-galad makes it seem like they need the Mithril because it has the light of the lost Silmaril in it. So maybe Gil-galad wants to create something that captures the light of the Eldar, which may give strength and life to the elves. We'll see. And one thing to note, the tree that Gil-galad points out that is decaying and dying is just an outer reflection of an inner reality of what's to come. The tree isn't killing the elves, it's just showing that their light is fading and they will diminish. Hmm. Okay, so this is some complicated jewel and light stuff. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but hopefully it makes sense to our listeners. Here's another question. It seems like there's an emerging love story happening in episode six. So what's up with this new Legolas guy? 
and the human lady. Their names are Arondir and Bronwyn. Arondir is an elf and Bronwyn is a mortal. In the first episode, one of the elf soldiers tells Arondir that there has only been two pairings between elves and humans, and both ended in tragedy. He's talking about Baron and Luthien, one of the best stories within the Silmarillion that talks about the love between a man and an elf maiden. They journey together to Morgoth's throne and take one of the Silmarils from his crown. Men are not allowed immortality, so Luthien died with Baron as a mortal, and she is now lost to all the elves. They had a son, Dior, who had a daughter named Elwing. I didn't realize there was romance in Tolkien's world. So tell us about the second pairing. The second pairing is of Tuor and Idril. Tuor was a man and Idril was the elven princess of Gondolin, the hidden city in Beleriand and the last city to stand against Morgoth. Tuor and Idril sailed away to an unknown fate, leaving behind their son Earendil. Elwing and Earendil are both half-elven. They get married and have two sons, Elrond and Elros. The last known pairing comes from the Return of the King, where the half-elven lines are reunited once again. Elrond's daughter Arwen weds Elro's descendant Aragorn. This strengthens the line of men in Middle-earth. So out of the three great pairings that have been recorded and seeing that all of them ended with, li with them living and dying as mortals, I have a feeling that Arondir and Bronwyn's fate will be the same. But it's still a great romance and reminds me so much of Baron and Luthien's story. Okay, so this doesn't sound like a chick flick, but maybe more like a forbidden love drama. Okay, I see. And I definitely need a visual family tree for this one. So that's add that one to your list. Okay, maybe we can move on to the next question about underdeveloped characters. So let's talk about Halbrand. Is that how you say it? Halbrand? Okay. Who is he? Halbrand isn't named in Tolkien's books. He supposedly is from the Southlands, and he's supposedly the next king of the Southlands whose ancestor united the scattered tribes to fight against the evil in the past. But there are several weird things that remind me of Sauron, although I don't think he is Sauron. First, what's weird is that he was adrift in the ocean in episode one. Like, where is he going? Because in the books, Sauron actually gets captured and shipped to Numenor. He lives there for some time. Second, what's weird is that he is a smith. Halbrand knows the lore of making swords, craftsmanship, and this is Sauron's specialty. Third, what's also weird is that Halbrand gets what he wants. He knows how to persuade people. Example, he persuaded the queen regent to keep them in Numenor. He persuaded R. Farazan to get him out of prison and give him a guild crest. So what's weird about this is that this is what Sauron does in Tolkien's books. Sauron was a prisoner in Numenor and soon becomes the king's greatest advisor. And in the book, he actually convinces R. Farazan to build great ships and start a war against the Valar. Sounds crazy, but this is the power of Sauron. So naturally, I'm suspicious, but I don't think Halbrand is actually Sauron. One thing that might be possible is that he might be one of the nine that receives the Ring of Power. Hmm. All right. Well, there's a prediction right there. You heard it first right here on Minas Tirith. Well, not a lot of my predictions have come true. True. 
And you also got one character's age off by like 460 years. So, but who's counting? But except for that dude. So what about talking about a character that is both in the books and in the show? So I think that the most underdeveloped character is Kella Brimhor, one of the greatest myths of the Second Age. This is the guy with the short hair who lives in Eregion. By the way, the short hair bothers me. Anyway, his father was Kurufin, who was one of the seven sons of Fëanor. Fëanor was the Noldorian elf who led all his people into exile into Middle-earth. He had a fire inside of him and a pride. Kurufin, his son, inherited that out of all of his sons. And although Celebrimbor, his grandson, has the same ambitions, he is an elf of a wholly different temper. He eventually separates from his father in the First Age. So Fianor studied under the Vala Aule who, and learned how to be a great smith. He created the three Silmarils that captured the light of the two trees into these three bright jewels. This is a key connection and puts importance to the character of Celebrimbor. Because Celebrimbor, the descendant of Fianor, is the one who makes the rings of power. Okay, another family tree that is needed. All right, so what else did this guy do? So Celebrimbor, not Elrond, had a deep friendship with the dwarves of Khazad-dûm. Because dwarves mine ores and are also master craftsmen, the dwarves and Celebrimbor were rivals, but also more like great friends who shared in the knowledge of their skills and craft secrets. And remember the doors of Moria from the Fellowship of the Ring? These are the doors of Doran. Remember there's a riddle to open the doors that can only be seen in starlight and moonlight? Well, Kella Brimbor and his dwarven friend Narvi made and inscribed those doors together. And Kella Brimbor's name is actually on those doors. So his works were very significant, but eventually his ambition also became his downfall. Wow, okay, I had no idea what the doors of Moria were about, but sounds like they were best friends. Maybe all this background info will help everyone watch the next episode. Well, that's all that we have for today. I want to thank Brian for helping us answer some really important questions from our listeners. We hope this was interesting and helped you piece together a bit more of Middle Earth. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and a review. If you have any questions for us to answer in this podcast, please DM me or leave a comment on my Instagram at Minas underscore Tirith. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode.